Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, family? Stacking Slabs podcast, Hobby Hustle, coming at you on a Friday, feeling fine. You know the drill. It's time to sit back and relax and listen to a sports card conversation. And I do these because I learn. I learn so much in their great insights. And that's why I think you keep coming back and listening. At least that's what you tell me when you're sliding into those DMs about the episode. And I appreciate that, that the engagement is what this is all about. Um, This is an important time in the hobby. It's really moving fast. I'm going to say it's going to even rev up more in March once Prism drops. I mean, did anyone see the price of that Donruss hobby box? Over $1,200. Is that serious? That's where we're at in the hobby right now. Damn it. It's wild. More and more people are coming in. More and more people are posting on their platform. Mickey Mantle, 52, legendary card. PSA 9, $5.2 million. There's a lot of money coming in, and it is a wild time to be alive. And I try to have these conversations to help maintain my sanity and give you all something to leave home with. And man, do we have a good one today. I am fired up to bring my man, Max Putnam Cards, also the host of Basketball Card Therapy. Max is 21 years old, and he's has a very sound mind when it comes to operating in the hobby. Um, I've been extremely impressed by the way he approaches the game, and I've just been enjoying listening to his podcast. Really helpful conversations. This is going to be one you're going to want to take notes. I think Max has got got it, man. He's, He's just a good brother in the hobby. All right, I'll shut up. Check out the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Hobby Hustle. I'm excited about this conversation today. I think it's someone everyone is familiar with here in the hobby. I am here with Max from Putnam Cards, also Basketball Card Therapy. I've been talking a lot about his podcast on my show, so I figured why not bring Max on, chop up basketball cards, talk a little bit about his podcast and uh, what he's up to. Um, But without further ado, how are you doing, Max? Good, Brett. Thank you so much for the the intro. I mean, really an honor to be on this show. You know, like I've looked at some of your past guests, uh, listened to a lot of the episodes. So it's uh, pretty awesome to to be talking with you right now. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, maybe we start here because I haven't really gotten a chance to speak to many fans of this team, but I would love to maybe start from the top and talk a little Detroit Pistons basketball. Might not be the most glamorous <laughs> to- topic right now, uh, but you know, you you uh, I have I've been on just like this CQ, uh rampage ever since I've been back in the hobby, and you know I've been watching the Pistons games, and I'm not even a Pistons fan; I'm a Pacers fan, um, and I have been over overall frustrated a little bit about how the rotations are working, what's happening. But I'm just I'm just kind of like the outsider looking in. I I'm a fan of Seiku. I've I've been following for him for a while. So maybe just like give me and anyone out there who's 
collecting Pistons players, just like a current state of Pistons basketball from your perspective. Okay. So first of all, let me, let's just get this out of the way. You've probably watched more Pistons basketball than I have this season, but here's how I see it. So we've got a pool of young talent. We're talking about Sekou, uh, Killian Hayes, uh, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, a lot of guys we drafted this year and last year. And then we've got like Jeremy Grant, who we got you know, signed in the offseason from Denver. Uh, we paid Mason Plumley like a handsome salary to basically do a whole lot of nothing. And then we've got like this old fart, Blake Griffin, on the team who <laughs> we're just chucking 30 million a year at right now. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of like, players i guess at different stages in their career um and so i think it, it just it's difficult to kind of see the path that Dwayne casey the coach and troy weaver gm's trying to kind of take us right now but obviously we want to groom the young talent but i guess from their perspective they also want to keep their trade chips playing to so other teams may be interested in trading for like Blake griffin Derek rose you know, maybe Jeremy Grant in a year or two. So it, it's just kind of interesting because it's it's like a battle between playing the young guys and playing the older guys and how to find minutes for everybody. So it's been an interesting uh, start to the season. Yeah, you know, I think the bright spot is uh, Jeremy Grant. I think Denver definitely misses him. And he, like, I don't know if they anticipated the void of him being gone so fast. Um, he's been highly productive, um, you know, all-star caliber player, I, I, I'd probably say, this year on the Pistons. But, you know, it's one of those instances where you alluded to it, where you've got, you know, maybe a coach that is playing for his job. So he is playing the proven guys like Derek Rose and Blake Griffin and giving them 30-plus minutes a night. Um, where then young talent is not getting as much run and therefore just sitting on the bench and not getting those reps and sets on the court. So it's like, from my end, you know, as like a Seiku fan, I'm always just like, I come from a place of abundance where I'm like, this kid's 20 years old. Like, you know, my expectation isn't that he's playing 30 minutes a night, but on the other hand, it's like, I feel like guys like him, they need, they need more than, five or six minutes a game, especially if you're the the last place team in the NBA. You know what I mean? Right. I think it was Blake Kirvin who said this the other day about development and young players like Dwayne Casey views in-game you know, action as one tool uh, to develop players. But it's like you got nothing to lose by playing them. You're not trying to win games. <laughs> so it's just it's kind of a confusing situation um you know like i think Dwayne casey said that maybe in order to give seiku minutes or something they'll have to like play zone like i mean i don't know it's just it's frustrating both as a pistons fan and as a seiku investor or you know just a seiku fan in general it's it's uh it's a tough situation at the moment but he is 20 years old so he's got a lot of years to to develop and prove himself he sure does. And I pro we'll get off the Pistons talk. I promise that. Um, but you know, when I see him get jump in, I mean, he's highly productive. I think he was shooting like 43% from three pointer. 
Um, he, he moves nice up and down the floor. You can tell he's still raw, but it's like one of those instances where I'm just like, give this guy a game where he just plays 20, 25 minutes and let's just see what he can do. But I think that's like, that's where we're at in the hobby. Um, and for me, I'm thankful where it's like a little bit of my energy is directed towards Seku, not all of my energy, but maybe like give, share some perspective. Cause I know you talked about this on your last show, which I really enjoyed with SoCal sports cards about just like, you know, this attention on, you know, first year or rookies or these second year guys. And I know like hype plays such a big role in the hobby, but you know, talk about just like maybe the risk and some things you're seeing with just like what you're seeing on Instagram and other channels with just so much attention on all of these young guys who have proved absolutely nothing, but people like me and most everybody else are, are dumping, you know, hundreds of dollars to try to attach ourselves to one of them and hope they take off. Right. So as I mentioned beforehand, like I, I got a bunch of notes written. <laughs> I did a lot of prep. So yeah, definitely something I, I'm interested in what I like, talk about. So if you look at like this 2019 draft uh, with Zion, Ja, uh, Hero, you know, all those guys, basically if you were drafted, if you were a player drafted in the 2019 draft, people are just throwing money at you. Like, <laughs> like here you go. It's like you, 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 you look like Giannis. Well, let me spend you know, $200 and, you know, buy one of your silver PSA 10s. That's kind of where we're at right now. And a lot of that's just because people have seen Giannis, Luca, you know, take off. And so people are trying to catch that um, and not miss out on it. But if you look at the last, the previous draft classes, like 2018, especially 2017, what happens is that, what, at least what I've observed, is that year after year, you know, the, the draft class slowly starts to filter. And you see guys drop out, guys drop off, you know, people lose money on those guys. and you know, I'm looking at 2017 right now, that draft class, which is Tatum and Donovan Mitchell. And so this is their fourth year in the league. So the four guys in that class right now who are pretty locked in, you know, to have really solid careers are Tatum, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Darren Fox, and Bam Adebayo. At least that's in my view. And then you have kind of these other guys who are more prospects, you know, in terms of Fultz, even though, you know, he had the unfortunate injury. Lonzo Ball, Jonathan Isaac, Collins, Ananobi, Laurie Markinen, and I think Jared Allen, maybe throw Kuzma in the mix. And that those are kind of, you know, the guys that have the potential. Everyone else in that draft class is, at least from my view, is going to be nobody. They're not going to have any hobby relevant. So, you know, I named maybe like 12 guys there, 10, 12 guys. So right now, everyone in 2019 draft class, when in three, four years, there's only going to be 10 guys who have any kind of relevance in the hobby and everyone else is going to fall through the crap. So when you're putting, you know, when we see all these young prospects, you know, having money thrown at them and people are buying anything and everything base, silver PS tens, RPAs, like it's just kind of, I, I know what's going to happen. I've, you look at the history of what happens to draft classes, they filter out. And so it's just going to be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Um, and it's, it's going to be even quote unquote, like worse with this draft, this year's draft, but same thing's going to happen. And people are going to lose money on some of the guys who fall through and that money will be, you know, put back into those top five, 10 guys who stand out from the crowd, I guess. 
Yeah. So I thought about this. I've done a few months ago, I was thinking about this and, and put in some of similar type of work where the conclusions I made was that every year the it it filters and dwindles and there's few and few guys that have overall hobby relevance. And I think, you know, case in point, the twenty seven draft twenty seventeen draft class that you you spoke about. And I think it gets into this mode of as someone who's investing, it's like do you want to, are you investing in some of those guys now with the thought that they're going to have a big game and then you can get out really quick, but you know that their long-term best case scenario role players or guys off the bench, or are people like still buying Laurie market in knowing that there's a new coach in Chicago and knowing that he might be, get a second wind. And so I think there's like, there's so much, so many dynamics that go into it. And so many factors and there's a this element of betting on players and cards and people wanting to gamble and get high up, high upside but then i think it just reaches the point where you just look around and you're just like what are we doing here <laughs> why wouldn't i just spend this money put it into a steph curry card or go put it into a kevin durant and our guy who's you know been a champion been in been in the all been an all-star been been in an mvp so that's just like, I think an evolution that some people choose to take where it's like, finally, it's like you put your hands up and you're like, this is way too much, way too much risk for me. Let me go. It might not, I might not see the growth on these guys as, as quickly, but like, it's a safer bet putting money into some of these, this proven talent. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent with you. And if you go back, so here's another stat. I'm Mr. Statman today. If you go back to, <laughs> if you go between the 2005 draft class and the 2015 draft class, all those years, and average out the amount of all-stars and all those drafts, about like five rounding up. So five guys per class who are going to have relevance. And then you filter even that into like, who are the MVP guys and maybe one per class, if you're lucky. So like, I can confidently say Lori Markin is going to be nobody in the hobby in two years. I mean, I, like, I just know how this plays out. Um, and so I, you know, not to throw the Lori marketing collectors on the bus or anything, but like, like, for instance, Kevin Porter Jr. I mean, today, the cat, like, if the guy's going through personal troubles, you know, like, obviously, he's got to, you know, get help and, you know, let's support him in that. But just purely from a card investment standpoint, I mean, he was, he threw food at like the GM or something. Cause he was upset that like Taurine Prince took his locker. Like right now, if I, if you're buying Kevin Porter Jr. Cards right now, um. stop, stop what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> just pause. Like this is not somebody to be putting your money into. And um, honestly, if you look at the goats, like Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, and you compared them to even the best prospects, Luca, Giannis, like they've met, ma- they've matched or even on some cases surpassed the ROI, if you're looking at it strictly from an investment standpoint. So I look at it as why even bother with some of these young guys, just put your money into one of the greatest players of all time, even if that's Curry and Durant, and it's much safer. And, you know, you may even see similar gains that you would, even if the young guy you're putting money, hits, you know what I mean? So yeah. that's how I look at it. No, I love that. And what we, we're not going to beat a dead horse here, but I do want to <laughs> ask a question just because. So, so like back to like, I don't know why we're picking on the bulls here, but like 
back to the Bulls, like I'm sitting there and, you know, they beat Dallas. Uh, I think it was Sunday. Um, and, you know, I do probably what you do and everyone else does. I try to watch. I mean, like I'm sitting here. It's Martin Luther King Day as we record this. I got the Hawks uh, on TV right now and against the Wolves. And I try to watch as much basketball as I can. And I look at the box scores. So I'm looking at the score and I see the Bulls beat Dallas. And I'm like, 117 to 101. Wow. Like, what happened to Dallas? Did, is Lucas supporting cast really that bad? And I look <laughs> down and I look at Kobe White's stat line. 25 minutes, zero points, zero for five, zero for two, three-pointer. It's just like not very productive. And I'm not saying like Kobe White's not a bad player or whatever, but what what is the hobby saying when they 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 see that, uh, like him put up a stinker? Like we know what the hobby does when if Kobe White would have had, you know, 40 points and hit six three-pointers. So it's like, that's one thing like I, I'm just, I'm cautious of, and I think everyone in the hobby should be cautious of for as hot as some of these players can be from a height perspective and from like hobby chatter, like they can go out and they, they can lay, you know, stinkers and consecutive stinkers. And it's just, it's a long game. And even though it's a abbreviated NBA season, it's, it's shorter than normal. So I guess 2019 class, it seems like the most hyped class ever. Cause it was during the boom, but like, what would you say are guys in that class that you think can surpass this, like dwindling out of hobby irrelevance and you think will be like staples and like, why do you think they will be staples? Yeah. So if I'm being honest, I really have done little prospecting in the last six months and uh, I don't really have a good answer for that, but the easy answer is to say Zion and Ja. But then I'm just reminded of when I entered the hobby and the hype was on Blake Griffin and Derek Rose. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that those are the careers they're going to have, but I'm just saying that's a possibility. And so you never really know with these guys, especially the hyper athletic types of players. But I mean, if I had to put my money anywhere, that's where I'd put it. I'd probably put it in the Zion, but it's just so, it's so risky. I'd rather just put my money into Kobe, LeBron, guys who, everyone loves everyone knows and uh are gonna see you know the same kind of upside in terms of their card prices totally and that's just fascinating uh and i want to talk about when you jumped into the hobby um but that that's fascinating to think about like the amount of hype that zion and john morant have right now and i think undeniably everybody can say they're exciting young players but so are derrick rose i mean derrick rose youngest player to ever win an mvp and so we're Blake Griffin. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing him everywhere. And now we started the show with me bitching about them on the Pistons. So I think it's just, it's just, it's amazing uh, how how hard it is for guys to sustain star power and productivity in the NBA. And I just think everyone should be mindful of that when thinking about sports cards. Maybe we talk about you jumping in and your journey with sports cards. Um, I think one thing I want to touch on, it's obviously you are younger than most of the guests I've had on this show. And I think that's cool. And that's important. We should welcome uh, more diversity from all accounts in the hobby. Cause I think it brings really good perspective, but maybe like what got you hooked uh, and how long have you been doing this and uh, why do you, why do you love it so much? 
Yeah, so I'll try I'll try to stay uh, short and sweet here. I got in a hobby in 2008, uh, so I was like eight, nine years old in 2008, and uh, that was Derrick Rose, right? That was like Derrick Rose, Michael Beasley, OJ Mayo, Westbrook, Kevin Love, those guys. And, uh, you know, like every Sunday or whatever, not every Sunday, but a lot of, a lot of weekends, like my, my hobby box to open, that was like such a treat. Back then, hobby boxes, you know, were like 50 to 150 bucks. So it was affordable and you, know, you can have fun. Whether you got a case hit or you got nothing, it was still fun because uh, you weren't risking a lot there. But that's kind of what got me hooked initially. And it was ripping boxes and trying to, you know, pull a Derrick Rose autograph or, you know, at the time, like Michael Beasley was a, <laughs> was a big name. So trying to pull those guys was a, a, a chase, if you will. And like, uh, I remember one, I got a box of this product called Tops Cosigners. And I, my dad would like give me a pack every day. And uh, one day I opened a pack and got like a Derrick Rose, Michael Beasley dual auto, which that was like the product hit. It, it was just incredible. Of course, I dropped it the minute I ripped it out of the pack. <laughs> but so yeah, that was a moment for me. Then so that was 2008. Then you look at 2009. That was Blake Griffin, uh, t- uh, rookie of the year, Tyreek Evans. Um, I'm sure. Don't, don't remind me. I had a, I had a tough <laughs> run with him as an Indiana Pacer. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, Tyreek, uh, you know, you, you went in the, in the card store, uh, card store and you said, you got any Tyreek Evans for me, you know, and obviously Curry and Harden were in that draft class as well. So you were pulling Curry autographs out of boxes and saying, all right, Steph Curry, let me go sell that to buy some Tyreek Evans. Um, <laughs> So that was fun. I probably would be sitting on a nice stash of curry stuff if I had held on to everything. Then, so that was like kind of my first two years in the hobby. And then at 2010, John Wall, Evan Turner, Demarcus Cousins, you had that. You had that draft class. And honestly, like when I look back at when I got started in the hobby, that's kind of how I like time. That's kind of how I look at my timeline, like by the draft class. Which I don't know. I just think is kind of interesting. But so that's kind of how I got started in the hobby. And obviously, so 2008-09 draft class, that was the last year that Upper Deck and Tops had the license. And then year after, I went to Panini. And so I was getting into cards right as Panini got, took over the license. And so, you know, a lot of cards that I was chasing and that I revere to be like really huge cards are that some of the, those early Panini cards, like 2012 Prism, like 2010-11 Silhouette Patch Autos. Those were like the big chases um at least as a kid and obviously that differs from some of the older you know guys in the hobby who grew up in the 90s and that was kind of their you know prime uh years of collecting as a you know kids and back then you know the chase cards were all those great inserts that we you know 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 and love the pmgs the star rubies jambalaya's finest refractors you know um and so I appreciate those cards. I love, obviously, I love those cards. But for me, I, I don't have a connection to those cards. So for me, the connection lies with 2012 Prism and like uh, Kaboom and, you know, those kinds of cards, the, those first initial Panini sets, because that's what I connect with. That's what I grew up with and entered the hobby with. So that's kind of how I got started, I guess. And yeah, I guess how my, my perspective differs from some of the older guys in the hobby. But yeah, that's that, I guess that was just a little background info. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And I would say like the 2012 Prism set, I think it's 
maybe the people who older collectors now are gravitating towards that set. So that's a pretty good set. I think that might be the bridge set between old and new. It just, especially with, you've seen like the prices on all the cards and do you think it's this, is it an element of like this whole, like first year, this set craze? Do you think is it looks like that is a thing? Do you expect that to be a thing outside of other sets other than prism? Um, I actually think, so here's something interesting. So like 2016 Optic, that was the first year of Optic. You know, there's a nice LeBron hollow PSA 10 with Kobe in the back. Like that's an awesome card. I don't, I've never understood why that card doesn't sell for more than it does because it's like first year Optic 2016. And if, if the 2012 LeBron first year Prism is selling for that, this, then why isn't the 2016 first year Optic selling for that? I've never started to realize I think it has more to do with less of like the first year of something. And more like early Panini, like the first couple years of Panini product. I think I'm starting to kind of see that a little more. Like Kaboom, that was like 2013, very early Panini. Like also first year flawless diamond cards um, are interesting. I'm starting to see some people like pick up on those a little bit. So I don't know if as much as it is first year products as it is just early Panini stuff kind of becoming more popular because it's you know the first couple years of their products but i don't know that's just one observation do you think select potentially could be i know like there's been some of the the big platforms and whatever talk about select and this and that which anybody who's been in it for for a little while has been has known that there's the opportunity with select my my validation is when i had the card father from burbank sports cards on here and he was just like hey like I sell more sports cards than almost anybody in the country and people bring in stuff every day and it's all prism and optic. And it's very seldom that I see select. Like I think select is super rare and I think is going to pick up steam. Personally, I prefer select. I think the cards are, they're more attractive to me aesthetically. But as we talk about like first year prisms, do you think, do you think select kind of fits in that? Do you think there's opportunity with select or just like, what is your thoughts overall? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think as, you know, the Prism print run just keeps going, you know, it just keeps going up and up and up. And Select differs because there's those three levels and the court side obviously being the most rare. And so it introduces another level of rarity on top of, you know, the parallels within those levels. So I think that's interesting and something that if the hobby does eventually say, all right, like we've had enough of these Prism base and Prism silvers that have print runs over 10,000, something, you know, that they might latch on to and say like, okay, I like select better. There's more rarity there. But if you look at the early select sets, like, like the three levels weren't there and it was just the bait. There was just one, you know, the base. And, um, you know, like, I think it's definitely possible. I wouldn't be surprised if it did take off, you know, select, but you know, if it was going to, I would think that it would have already. I mean, the way the hobby's going, you never know. I mean, there's more new people coming in every day with new preferences and people from you know, outsiders' opinions who think differently. So we'll see how it pans out. It's definitely possible, though. Totally. And and so, like, don't take this the wrong way at all. But when I, I meet a lot of people in the hobby, a lot of direct messages, a lot of conversations, and typically, like, I can, by, you know, a little bit of conversation, I can tell, like, oh, this this people, this guy or this gal is, 
you know, probably around this age based on the questions they're asking and their experience in the hobby. Um, I think about like you, you and your age, you're talking about like your first group of players, Derek Rose and stuff that you were collecting. I think about your age. And then I look at like, I hear you talk on your show and look at your Instagram page. What I'm seeing doesn't uh, match what I'm, <laughs> what I'm used to where I, oh, most of the questions I'll get is like, should I invest in Kevin Porter Jr.? Do you think he's going to take off this year? And I'm, I'm like, I have no idea. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, you've got a, a very sophisticated taste of sports card. Um, you know, everything I try to educate on that I've learned regarding, you know, try to invest in legends. It's safer. Like you have done that. You've got a phenomenal Kobe Bryant collection. Maybe like when, what was your epiphany? Cause you, you talked about like rip and wax and the, the dual auto and that being a big hit. Like what was your epiphany where you realized like, all right, like this is the way I should collect and you, and you've never looked back ever since. Uh, I think there's two points. One is in early 2020. I mean, just to be frank, like when Kobe passed, right. Um, that was just a moment. Uh, Cause I think that it's safe to say while he was alive, we all vastly underrated his cultural significance and how much he meant to a lot of different people. So there's that because I like felt that, um, which I never, that never happened before. Um, and two, when I got burned on Kawhi Leonard this summer, that was, that was pretty painful. And it was just kind of like, no matter how confident you are in a guy, I, I bought 10 Kawhi prison PSA 10s. I was confident that he could reach the conference finals. And I would sell at that point, you know, game one, game two of the conference finals. But the Doughboy and uh, Jamal Murray kind of took him out, and it didn't help that Paul George was just bricking shots on the side of the backboard. So that <laughs> that was a really painful experience. So take those two moments and put them together, and I was like, I'm just going to put my money into something that I really love, I appreciate, and that will appreciate, and I don't need to be worrying about it every day, worrying about is this player going to win this game? Is this player going to continue his hot streak? Like, is he going to get injured? That Those are thoughts that I had. And so I'm, one, just happy that I put, reallocated my money into a GOAT, one of my favorite players of all time. And then two, like, as I've mentioned before, from an investment standpoint, it's outpaced a lot of the younger guys. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And, uh, yeah, but growing up, like it was, you know, Derek Rose, Blake Griffin, those guys, that's how I got into the hobby. And if you think about it, Panini, they took over the license in 2009, right? And Jordan and LeBron were upper deck exclusives then, and they still are now. So Kobe was the guy that Panini was really hyping up. He was on the face of like every hobby box. No, I mean, not every hobby box, but they were, he was the face of Panini basketball cards right as I was getting into the hobby. So that's also something why I have a connection to Kobe. Um, I think that actually has a lot of, a lot to do with it as uh, kind of the timing of that as well. Yeah. I, I like what you said about the Kawhi Leonard examples. Good, but it's not even, it's like way less extreme than a, a lot of what happened. Like Kawhi Leonard, obviously he's, you know, won two championships and he's a perennial all-star, arguably one of the top five pl best players in the league. 
but like again like to to maximize your gains like you they need to win and like you're worrying about them winning and like that kind of takes away the fun of sports cards in general and i think like there's just it's human nature like i'm i've done it like a lot of people have done it it's like you want to like take these big swings and and swing for the fences and like try to hit a home run with each of these bets where like sometimes it's okay to be like, I'm using like a baseball analogy. It's okay to be like a Derek Jeter in the hobby and just like, you know, hit singles and doubles if like, and know that that's going to be like, that's going to sustain you over a period of time outside of just like whiffing and whiffing. And then it gets frustrating. And all of a sudden you're just in this position where you've got a bunch of cards that never panned out. And then you're asking yourself like, do I really even want to do this anymore? Right. That's exactly how I felt. Like, it just kind of took the fun away because at that point, it, I mean, it might not be like this with every example, but with those, the quad stash that I had, it was just very much like betting. And it just kind of took away the fun of it um, because you're not enjoying the cards and you're just worrying about the outcome of the games. And uh, I just didn't want to have that feeling anymore. Totally. And and one thing I, I I'm, I'm kind of, Everyone goes through these evolutions. Um, right now, for me, um, I watch so much basketball, and my moment was I was I had when I was looking at like I don't just collect basketball; I collect football and I collect wrestling cards. So like it's all three of these. But then I was watching so much basketball at the beginning of the season. I still am, and I was getting so frustrated with like Seku not playing, and I said to myself like, dude, like this is ridiculous. Like you're not even enjoying like watching this team. Like you like this guy, but like, you don't need to be in it every day today. Like what will make you happy? And I just like that asked myself that. And I just said, you know, who makes me really happy? Like Steph Curry makes me really fucking happy. Like every time I watch him play, it's outstanding. And I'm always just like, stop everything. And like, I just really appreciate him. So like, for me, it was like, all right, like, how do I get involved and buy some Steph Curry cards? And so like, I don't know. It's just like, sounds like you had that moment with Kawhi. It's just like, we all just need to like stop and have those moments and just be like, who makes you happy? And if they make you happy, buy some of their cards. It, 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 it sounds really easy, but it might not be so much with all the factors and Instagram and everyone posting all these different things that help influence everyone else's opinions. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the corny, cliche is buy what you like um but the thing is if you buy what you like and you buy what makes you happy i guarantee you it makes a hundred other people equally as happy and if you're buying the right cards that those other hundred people alone uh, makes those card values go up and it's not i mean it doesn't even have to be about you seeking out what can go up in value like for instance a couple Weeks after, like Kobe passed, like I bought this card, the Topps Chrome Refractor, uh, the iconic image of him and LeBron, PSA 10. I didn't, I bought it for like a couple hundred dollars. I wasn't planning on making any money off of that card. And it's just something that I wanted to have. And let alone, like, you know, a year later, that card is going for over 10x what I paid for it. And so you don't, like, don't approach it from a a value perspective, just buy what you like. And I guarantee you more times than not, it'll work out in your favor. I love that. Talk about, okay. So you you bought that Kobe car and you've just been, you, it's like, we all are with when we get in these, like, it's how I am with Steph right now. It's like, 
I'm dude auctions. Like I'm looking at everything I'm watching and I'm trying to find like, you think about a guy like Kobe, you think about like Steph Curry, like how many cards they have and like, you got to focus it in. And like, for me, it's like, all right, maybe can I see if I can get a prism and a select parallel from every year that those have existed and then maybe I can see if like I can get them to be like color matched with the jerseys wearing and like the parallel. I'm like, that seems like a fun little hunt. So I'm like, now I'm like obsessed with it. Like I'm like going in rabbit holes and doing this and that. And I run into some cards and I'm like, okay, like that card is not something I just want to open up my bank account, but maybe I can sell some other stuff I have to give me the funds to purchase that. Maybe talk to me about that process because not not everyone has you know nat turner's bank account and can just go ham and buy whatever the hell they want so with your kobe journey like what did you do in order to keep getting kobe cards that you wanted that were maybe outside of your price range or perceived to be outside of your price range at that time right so i mean like even when you so i guess this is more of a quite like this question of how do you afford the cards you want to buy for your pc yeah, and it's like so those Kawhi Leonard's that I bought, right? Like I was buying those for eight hundred thousand, twelve hundred bucks, and even though yeah they obviously crashed, I was still able to sell them for around like two thousand each. So it's like those flips help you, you know, build up a bankroll. Flipped a couple of Luca Prism colors, blue and blue ice. As much as you know, as much of those cards have gone up at the time, it allowed me to f- afford, you know cards for my pc and um you know, I, i'm not so much in the game of like flipping the, pro- the young prospects and getting a bunch of prism based psa 10s and silvers and i usually just go for one big card that i think has a chance to two or three x like for instance a couple months ago i bought like a durant refractor psa 10 because i just had a feeling that a couple months you know from then which is around now or a month from now that card could be two or three X where it is, where it was at the time. And that's true. Um, and so I just kind of compound those flips and put that money over time into the cards that I really want to buy for my PC. And that's kind of how I fund it. Um, initially, obviously it's hard to just like spend up on one huge card like that. You got to build up somewhere. Um, and I guess I kind of got lucky in that respect because when I started building, that was just one that, you know, just naturally when the hobby was taking off. So the cards I already had were appreciating at a rate that I never thought they would. And so, I, I mean, I got lucky in that respect, I guess. And part of it is luck. Um, but I guess that's just kind of the hobby in general. When you talk about injuries or, you know, anything else like that, that were the change, um, I guess. But, and then as far as like what cards you you seek out. So I'm 21, right? I can't like just go buy every card that I want to have. Uh, and I have to use a little bit of that investor mindset because at the end of the day, I can't just like sit on everything I have. I'm using cards as kind of a vehicle to, you know, level up, I guess, um, and prepare for when I graduate from college and go on to the, you know, in the real world, I got to, you know, pay for a lot of different things. So I'm looking at it like, okay, what cards can I easily exit out of, but I also like at the same time. And that boils down to buying iconic cards, cards that have meaning, significance, like that 2008 Chrome Refractor, like the first Kaboom, like, I mean, even this, there's 10 
there's a thousand of these out there, but the Topps Base BGS 10. I bought the BGS 10 at the time because the pop is so much lower than the PSA 10. Um, so that's kind of like where my mindset is in terms of what cards I go out and buy. Like, what cards do I like that are iconic that I can easily exit out of if I have have to and when i decide to do that it's like uh that's that's like next level operating a couple things i i picked up is like one if you're building the bankroll you you you, like you real like you have to have patience like that's the hardest thing i think is like there's so much so many things flashing in front of everyone so often um that like it's easy to get distracted so it's it sounds like you you're focused you know what you like and you've got patience I think the other thing you talked about is like, there's this element of instinct. You talk about the Durant card and we all know this. Like if you spend time on eBay, like searching and getting in rabbit holes and stuff, you'll come across cards. You'll just be like, huh, that looks like it's completely undervalued. And then you like sit and you think about it and you're like, has anyone, no one's talking about this, but like you just trust your gut instinct and probably say, well, like Durant's, in Brooklyn, he's got this big platform. Um, you know, I know what Kevin Durant can play like. I'm just going to take the bet that, you know, he's going to be healthy and old Durant and kind of the rest is history. So like, maybe like what, when you, when you decided on the Durant card, like how did that opportunity present itself and like what was going on in your head? Yeah. So oh, to preface that, like, I think a lot of being able to find cards to flip is having a lot of different channels in which there are buying opportunities. So whether it's Instagram, whether it's MySlabs, eBay, Facebook, you've got to kind of expand your potential buying opportunities by being on all these platforms and keeping your eyes open. Um, so that's the first thing I'll say. But the second thing is in terms of Durant, it's like I've been through this cycle now. I, t- I started taking the hobby seriously in 2018. You know, a lot of people jump back in in 2018 with Luca, and um, yeah, I've been through the cycle for a couple of years, so I see how it works. And every year in the cycle, I'm mad that I didn't buy more cards. You know, in October, November, December, every year it's happening right now. I'm mad I didn't go out and buy more LeBron Chrome PSA tens. <laughs> uh, and it's like, you know, sometimes it doesn't even matter what player you're buying, if you're buying, you know, the Durant, Curry, LeBron type player just buy something (laughs) um because come january february the hype is going to start to pick up and so a lot of it's just like the cycle and then the other part is if you look at where lebron refractor psa 10s were selling early this season or a little before the season and then you look at like where durant stuff was going for you know durant had a little room in my opinion to run i think he still does but a lot of it's also just like comparing what one player is selling for and then saying, okay, well, what do I think about this player? And so I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of it is gut sometimes. And you've got to kind of be around for a little while to see what, you know, how the market plays out. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's just about having the gut feeling, having gone through the cycle a couple of times now. And yeah, I think those two aspects of it are pretty important. Yeah, definitely. Knowing the cycle and uh, just ha- the experience, like the more experience. I love what you talked about, uh, the various platforms. I think that's really important. 
All right. So I want to talk about maybe close out talking about your show. I think I put up a question in my stories um, a while back, maybe a couple months ago. And I was just like, what are some good content creators that I should be listening to? Because I just like listen to the same guys over and over, which I I love those guys. But like, I'm always like interested, like thinking if the hobby's booming, new content creators have to be coming in. And I'm always just very cautious because most of them are bad for a lot of different reasons, more because it's out of self-interest out than giving back to the hobby. But someone wrote basketball card th- therapy. And I was like, that's a cool name. And I looked it up on Apple and saw like Putnam cards. So I was like, I know Putnam cards. And so I gave it a listen and um, maybe it was Boston authentic. I can't remember what the first one was I listened to, but I was like, this is like, this is this is exactly what I'm looking for. It's just a conversation like we're having right here about topics regarding basketball cards that are beneficial to the greater good, um, which I think is really cool. Um, so I, I'm interested in like getting your perspective on like what meet what was the catalyst for you starting the show, and then like what have you been or what are you trying to accomplish with the show? Yeah, so. Again, it goes back to 2008, 2009, 2010. I actually had a card YouTube channel, which uh, I'd like to think if I had continued with it, I would be a uh, uh, Pac-Man, you know, but that's not the case. And the YouTube channel still up, but I've completely changed the name of it. And no one will be able to find it because it's absolutely cringe. <laughs> so that's where my hobby content uh, creator had started, I guess. Um, and then over the summer, I just want, I needed an outlet to talk about cards. And so I started a podcast called regrettably the pump podcast, which I guess pumping uh, and dumping isn't exactly it, the name doesn't lend itself to <laughs> good. Uh, and that was really just focused on like, you know, what, what to buy today to what to sell tomorrow. And I, I did not like creating that kind of content. Um, and then earlier or this past fall, I was, I wanted to get, you know, re- have a restart. And come up with something that selfishly will allow me to talk with other people about cards for an hour uh, while, you know, making friends and making new connections with people. And uh, like you, I don't like being told what to buy, what to sell. And I would much rather hear people talk about their collection and their experience in the hobby. So that's kind of how I arrived at basketball card therapy. And so, yeah, I've just been like interviewing different collectors in the hobby. And, you know, gaining insights, but also providing value for others, I hope. And that, you know, it's not, you're not being told what to buy, you're being told how to buy and how to seek out opportunities and what to look for and just those kinds of things, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think uh, I, I love that. And you're hit, you're nailing it. And I'll tell you why. And this is from a personal experience. It was like, I had that moment that I talked about where I was like, I need to buy Steph Curry cards because he makes me happy. And then knew like I've learned from just as a Peyton Manning collector, being in a Peyton Manning group and learning about how it all works and how people buy certain stuff. And I realized like, you know, I don't need to just like start the Steph Curry collection by like going and pursuing his rookie tops refractor or his big card. Like I can start this and start buying some of his parallels of cars that I really like. And that's going to, that's going to be just as valuable and make me happy doing it. And like, I had this like train of thought and I was buying these cards and then 
I listened to your episode, I think it was last week with, or your last one with uh, SoCal sports cards and like the topic, like came up about, about this. And I was like, I, I listened to the podcast when I'm like going for a walk and I was like, it was validation for me as someone who had just like been doing this, that like, I heard a guy who I follow and I'm like, he knows what he's doing. Basically tell me without actually telling me that what you're doing right now is the right move. And I think like, that's super cool because that just came from a, a conversation that y- you were, you were facilitating and because you're just trying to meet people and learn. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I appreciate that. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that I'm able to help out with, you know, anybody, but especially, you know, people who are also putting out great content and who are also, you know, giving back to the community like you with your podcast. I remember over this summer, I was working at a job and that's kind of when I discovered your, you know, your entire content sweet i guess if that's what you want to call it and it was just like i mean i'm not even into wrestling at all i was enjoying some of the content so i mean really anything you talk about is is always interesting and you know love your podcast as well and i guess also part of the impetus to why i started you know creating content was like oftentimes at like nine ten o'clock at night you know i'm at like my parents house right now so I'll like go talk to my dad about sports cards and like the market and anything I want to talk about with him. And he doesn't care at all. Like, I just, I feel like I'm just talking to nobody, but he's in the room. And, uh, so the podcast also just allows me to kind of, you know, selfishly, like I said, just take an hour to talk with someone about cards. But I mean, I guess it just is because I'm so passionate about it and I just love it so much. And I've been in it for a while that I just can't, I can't go a day without, uh, you know, kind of putting words out in the in the world about cards. No, I I think that's good, and I think it's just healthy for uh for like the period of time we are in in society where you know most time is spent at home, and you know people have thoughts running through your head, and you're trying to look for an out. Like this is like your name of your podcast, basketball card therapy. It's this it's therapeutic to talk to people about common interests and passion. So I think just for anybody out there, like, I think we need more content creators. I think we need more of the right types of content creators, but like, I'm not suggesting like, go like create a big platform and spend all this time and money doing it. Like if you want to do that, cool. But like, I am suggesting like, even if it's not recorded and you're not sharing it, like try to find some time to talk to people about sports cards. Cause I think it can really uh, get your mind in a right place. And like, people inspire you like influence all influence isn't bad. Like influence can be good. So I think that's cool uh, that you, you uh, started the basketball card therapy to learn from others. And, you know, I, it's, it's a podcast that I'm a regular listener to. So keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate it, Brett. I mean, it means a lot. It's uh humbling that someone else cares about what I have to say. So <laughs> maybe we close out with this, just a couple quick, quick fire, rapid uh, ones. So, Give me your biggest pet peeve in the hobby right now. Uh, if I had to choose the biggest pet peeve, it's just people, I guess, just posting everything and everything and saying like, you know, look what I have. I have this uh, Kevin Porter Jr. RPA. And I mean, I get like, obviously people have the right to like post and say whatever they want, but it's just like, I don't need to scroll through my feed and see all these prospects who may not be anything and whose value may go to zero in a couple of years. 
I mean, I, it's not, I guess it's not right of me for say like what people should and should not be posting, but like, if you're going to just post your feed of all these prospects and you have a lot of followers, like every once in a while, maybe say something like, you know, these types of purchases are much more risky <laughs> than, uh, buying, you know, the goats or even like Will Chamberlain or something like that. Uh, because like, if I'm just getting in the hobby now and I'm seeing all these people posting all these prospects and like, that's going to make me go out and want to buy those prospects. And there's just not enough warning, you know, about the risks involved with that, I guess. If I, I'm on the spot, if I had to pick one thing, I guess that's it. That's a good one because I agree with that too. Like, it's just like, uh, buying a pack of cigarettes. There's a disclaimer on there that say these (laughs) might kill you. Like if you're going to go out there and you're just going to, you know, say every rookie's good, like at least put a little disclaimer somewhere, but I'm, I'm with you there. All right. So maybe shout out, shout out a, an account on Instagram that you, you appreciate like doing it right. You think more people should follow, um, you're learning from just someone doing, doing it right. Easy answer is Carbo Chronicles and Chris House of Jordans. I mean, that's the easy and Christina, shout out Christina. That's the, uh, incredibly easy route to go there. But uh, I mean, if I had to shout out another account like Yamwax, um, I don't, I still don't think it's gets his due in the hobby. I mean, he, he has a different approach to things, but uh, a lot of which is highly, I, I get a lot out of it, and I become more educated because of what he puts out. So I, have, I mean, I, I guess I'll go with Yamwax. Yeah, yeah. So Yamwax has stopped stopped me uh, in between meetings, watching like a fifteen minute Instagram live on like tennis cards and I don't care anything <laughs> about tennis cards, but I think it's awesome because he does have a different slant to the hobby. So that's a good one. We love yam wax on stacking slabs. Um, all right, let's close it out with this. Uh, what is just some advice and recommendations? My perspective is once, even though this rookie class might not be anywhere near what last year's rookie class is in terms of hype, maybe it is, maybe the hobby will hype it that much. You're going to have prison basketball come, come around in March and, we're going to go through a tailspin. So just maybe like, and it doesn't need to be about this, but I just think we're entering a period in the hobby that's about to, it is revved up and it's about to even rev more up. So what just like advice do you have for the greater uh, hobby uh, good on just like operating, moving into the rest of the year? Like what's your feedback to, to the, to the hobby? Uh, don't buy boxes of Donruss for $1,200. <laughs> that's a good one. Is that real? I saw it. I, I saw it on Twitter today, and I was like, "That can't be real." The box of Donruss can't be going for twelve hundred. I looked it up. Went on Blood website, twelve hundred. I bought a box of Donruss for sixty bucks in two thousand nineteen, and I pulled a Luca Auto out of it. Even if I if that box is twelve hundred dollars, and I pulled a Luca a Luca Auto out of it at a twelve hundred dollar price point, I still would have made my money back on it. So avoid, just avoid that stuff. It's not worth your money and it's not worth your time that's uh that is uh i can't even really wrap my head around that like i know there's the breaking element and i know demand is outrageous but like i mean it's like did did those like all come with a kobe autograph parallel (laughs) that he signed before he passed away you know what i mean i want to laugh at that but like it's i get what you're saying like does it come with uh you know like a pair of game worn lamella ball uh sneakers or you know what what's the what's the catch 
LeVar is going to give you a call once you bust open that hobby box. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, but that's good advice, which sucks though. You know, like if, if you're, like- if you're young, if you, if you, if you're me, if you, what I am was in 2008 and you're like a nine, 10 year old kid, what are you supposed to do? Go to target and get a real t- retail box. Can't do that. There's 40 year old, you know, 50 year old guys waiting, sitting there for four hours. They bring a lunchbox with them. It's like, how are you supposed to get involved in the hobby? I don't get it. I know it's, it's bad. And, and the deal is, is like, even if they made a lower end product and even if they did it, like it would, it would be the same scenario. Like people would still be doing what they're doing. So I don't know what the solution is, but I think that is a sound recommendation is don't go spending $1,200 for, or over $1,200 for a hobby box of Donruss. Not good. Max, thanks so much for joining me today. Everyone go check out Basketball Card Therapy. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate it, Brent. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Take it easy. Yep. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you like what you heard, hit that damn subscribe button. Tell a friend. You got a new person coming into the hobby? Tell them to come to Stacking Slabs. Check out this podcast. Appreciate all of you. Man, Max is a good brother. Go make sure you hit subscribe on Basketball Card Therapy. It is a Stacking Slabs approved podcast. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Talk to you again next week. 